Father, we thank you that your word is powerful. Father, we thank you that you are powerful. Father, we thank you that as you spoke, that the world came into being. And Father, that as you speak, situations can be changed. Situations can turn around. Father, we can be changed as you speak life into us. And so, Father, we pray today that as you speak, we would hear your voice very clearly in our hearts, in our spirits. And, Father, that you would cause us to respond to the things that you would say to us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you could just fire up my presentation, please, Sophie, and I'll just give you a wee nudge uh, as to when to to shift slides. Um, We've been considering uh, the whole area of spiritual warfare, spiritual armour, and uh, really I want to just focus for another little uh, time on Sunday on the battlefield of the mind. That's what we're going to uh, think today because we need to grasp, we really need to grasp this, that the soil of our minds is the place where the enemy will sow seeds, seeds of doubt and fear and division and so on, seeds of despair, seeds of hopelessness. And this is where he will plant them in our minds. So we need to be aware of the importance of the realm of the mind. The Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is the man. As you think, the things that you say and the things that you do will come out of that place. The Bible says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. In the Proverbs, it says, that out of the heart of man flow the very issues of life. The heart is, is an expression that's used for all that is within us, that is immaterial, the center, the core of our being, that which drives us and makes us who we are. And it's out of that place that flow the issues of life. And there's a battle going on between two entities. One is our old nature, our sinful nature, and the second is the new nature through the Holy Spirit. And I want to look briefly at that today. Slide two, please, Sophie. Turn to Romans chapter 8, if you will. We're going to read uh, from verse 1. Um, it may be easier to follow on the screen because uh, I'm reading from the New Living Translation today rather than the NIV. So let's read uh, these incredible words. So there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. See if we stop there and thought about that. No condemnation for those who belong to Christ, those who are in Christ. When you feel condemned, it's not Jesus that's condemning you. If you feel convicted of doing something wrong, that's probably the Holy Spirit. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit, the Holy Spirit, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Slide two, please, Sophie. The image of the cross. He sent his own son in a body like ours and in that body declared an end to sin's control over us. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on a cross, as you can see in that picture there. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day. 
And that's why we can sing those songs that we're singing this morning with such hope and with such zeal. Because Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. All that needed to be accomplished to fulfill the requirements of the law was achieved in Christ. Justice was served. Freedom was obtained. And there was an end to sin's control. And you know, this came as a revelation to me when I was struggling with things at one point in my life, struggling to to get rid of some things uh, that were bugging me. And along came the Holy Spirit as you come to this point where you need to cry out to God, along came the Holy Spirit and released me from those things which bind. Things in the old nature, things that get a hold of us. Freedom. I experienced freedom. I experienced the reality that sin does not need to be our master. Just as the Bible says. You know, we think because we've got two natures that we always need to serve the fallen nature. It's not the case because the Holy Spirit can come and cause us and empower us to serve the new nature, to serve Him. Slide 4. Verse 4. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. And perhaps the little icon of the devil on this shoulder and the angel on this shoulder is maybe somewhat helpful. Not overly, but somewhat helpful. Because there are two natures and we can feel ourselves drawn between the two. This is what it says. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, what's the word that it uses there? Think about sinful things. Where do we think? We think in our minds. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. Next slide, please. We can have this choice day in and day out, multiple times throughout the day. Who or what are we going to serve? Are we going to live to please the Spirit or are we going to serve our old fallen nature? Our choice, moment by moment throughout a day, we have these choices placed in front of us. And the question is, what dominates our thinking? What are our minds being directed to? What is inside of us? What are we sowing to? Verse 6. So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature can never please God. Slide 7, please. And we're faced with this choice all the time about whether to take the path that leads to sin and pleasing our sinful nature or taking the other path which leads to life, which leads to eternal life, ultimately. I don't know about you, but as I looked at this picture, I thought, these two paths look as if they're going the same way. And have you ever been in that place where you're faced with a choice, you're out for a walk, and you're faced with a choice as to what path to take, and you look at them and you think, well, they're both kind of going roughly in the same direction. And then you find out if you choose the wrong path, it's like, no, no, no. 
We're just chatting about this as we went up to Aberdeen yesterday, and we're watching the sunrise on the right-hand side. And we knew we were heading north, right? There's that point when you're on the path where you just go, I'm going the wrong way here. I thought the two paths were going to take me to the same place. But the path's taking me in the wrong direction. And it can be really, really easy when choosing between our old fallen nature and the new nature to choose the wrong path because maybe maybe in all the subtleties, they look quite similar. But we find ourselves, the longer we're on it, getting sidetracked and going off into the wrong path. Slide eight, please, Sophie. Today, I really want to spend a bit bit of time thinking about that. Not through me talking about a story, but I want to use a practical example today. I want to use uh, somebody's testimony today, um, which which I came across on a website called I Am Second. If you've never went on to that website, there are loads and loads of incredible stories about how God has transformed people's lives. And they always end the white chair interviews by saying, I am such and such, and I am second. Second to who? Second to Jesus. And this is a story of a girl. um, She featured in a weight loss program in the USA called The Biggest Loser. Know that I've seen it. And she tells her story and to the things that she says. Because as she tells her story, you, you see a progression into a way of thinking, you see a progression into a stronghold, you see a progression into something that captivated her. She had to break free of that. And she talks about how God came into her experience and caused her to break free. So let's watch the video, sit back, and uh, just uh, what she will share today. I think when you're at a place where you're so upset and you're kind of out of control with a lot of things. It, um, it's an easy step to turn to food. I found out about The Biggest Loser through a friend. She was going one weekend to an open call and I just thought if I can go and I can lose 50 pounds, then that'll be enough to come home and do it on my own and kind of just feel good about where I'm at. Growing up, I had what I felt was a typical uh, Christian home, um, two very loving parents, and by all accounts, we were, you know, a very happy and happy-go-lucky family. When I was 18, I received a phone call from my mom. I was at work, and she told me that she was going to be leaving my dad. didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to deal with my pain or the confusion that I was going through, but I couldn't help but think that her leaving, um, that it meant that there was something wrong with me. I chose then to to internalize all my pain, and um, I then told my mom that because of her decision, I was going to have to love her from a distance and that I wasn't going to um, speak to her anymore. When I would get really upset or depressed, I thought, well, if I could just get something really good to eat, then it'll make me feel better. It becomes a guilt thing and 
you realize that you're eating and you're feeling bad while you're eating and it's just making it worse and it becomes this this vicious cycle of I need comfort and I think food will work and I'm going to try it and it's not working and I need more. I had put on, you know, almost a, a hundred pounds and I realized I was not in control of the food. It was not making me happy. I assumed that the smile on my face masked it all. People ask you, you know, how, how are you doing today? Oh, good. And you've got a smile. Then I thought, well, they'll believe you. And so I thought, well, that kind of, that gets me through this conversation. The moment I would close the door in my car, I would just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. Because it was all fake. In my mind, I thought, if I tell everybody everything that I'm going through, that they'll leave me too. I received a phone call from The Biggest Loser. The show's ultimate goal is to ultimately be The Biggest Loser. Whoever loses the most percentage of weight would, at the end, win $250,000. I talked to my dad, and he made the suggestion that I call and ask my mom if she'd like to do the show with me. I really felt like God was saying, you know, I'm going to give you an opportunity, you know, to start over and change from the inside out, and this could be the option if you're willing to, to do it. I called my mom and I said, okay, you know, here's perfect opportunity for you and I to, to do something together. It was parents and kids versus husbands and wives. And they all had a really great connection and a really great relationship. And when I looked in the direction of my mother, I thought, okay, well, I'm here with somebody that, when I look at you, I see the source of my pain and I see the source of my weight gain. While everybody has somebody that they love and that they kind of feel really connected with, I'm here with somebody that I hardly know. We were in a challenge in a huge water tank, and whoever holds on the longest while the water drains will win. I jumped into the water, and in coming back up, I didn't know, but the bar had swung out and then swung back. And as I came up, it swung back, and it hit my tooth, and it chipped it. And I lost it. I completely lost it. When that tooth got chipped, I felt like somebody had just stripped away that armor and said, no, look at you. Your smile is gone now. What are you going to do? And it was at that point that I then felt like, I have to get out of here. This is too much. I you know, I'm physically in pain. I'm emotionally in pain. I'm here with the one person who causes me pain. And now you've chipped my tooth. That's it. I can't do it anymore. Just telling God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I can't, because I can't do this anymore. And laying there, just in a complete state of brokenness, I told God, okay, I get it. I can't do it. It's not me. And so, God, if you can use me, if you want me to stay, if you want me to work on this, if you really want me to do this, then I'll stay. 
and I'll give it, I'll give it all to you. And from that point forward, from that night, things began to change. It was like my whole body just let go of everything I was holding on to, all the stuff, all the things, all the junk in my life. One collective moment just kind of let go. When I showed back up at that finale, I was a changed person. I really, truly began to walk in love and forgiveness towards my mom. The scale ultimately wasn't going to define me, that my weight wouldn't define me, the smile on my face wasn't defining me, but you know that God all along was defining me. To know that I could truly hand it over, hand it over to God who was in every way big enough to handle everything and that he wasn't going to run away. He wasn't going to see all the junk and run away. Me being in control is really me being out of control. And so I have Christ first because I know that in him is really my full life. I'm Michelle Aguilar, and I am second. I think that's a very moving, very powerful story. Um, it's a very direct story as well. There's so much um, that we can learn from Michelle's story. And firstly, that she came from a, a Christian home. She came from a Christian background. Um, and I, I just think, you know, it's, it's not just something that people who are not Christians experience, the whole kind of thing about spiritual warfare and battles and all this kind of stuff. Next slide, please, Sophie. Um, she came from a Christian home and was experiencing these things. Just click through these points. Um, she felt out of control, which led her to want to take control in her situation. If you've ever been in that place where you want to just take control, and, and you know, that, that's a good thing to take control. Um, it's a very positive thing to take steps in your situation that bring control for, for, for each of us, for our own kind of internal well-being. But the problem was that she internalized her pain and that relationship was broken, that fellowship was lost. And this led to unforgiveness. And she realized, she realized then that she wasn't in control. And she hid behind the facade of fine. And how often do we do that in church? How often do we hide behind a smile and, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. And yet, within each of us, there are these gigantic struggles going on. Not all the time, but from time to time. Within us, there's these massive, massive struggles, and we need to find some way of connecting with people and fellowshipping with people so that we can begin to discuss these massive struggles that are going on in our lives. Because when we begin to internalize stuff, then it's very, very easy to lose perspective on, on what is, even of what is real and what's true, because things get out of control in our mind, and outward appearances can be deceptive. You know, when we're not in a good place, sometimes it's the smallest thing that can cause us to crack. Malcolm Gladwell, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, uh, he wrote a book called The Tipping Point. And uh, when you reach a tipping point, it only takes a small thing for something to go to the next place, to go to the next level. That can be a, in a good way or a, a destructive way. And, uh, you know, you've heard that saying, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm sure we've all heard that. 
totally crazy. How can a straw break a camel's back? But it's because there's so much on the camel that it's just that last little tiny thing that causes the problem, you know. And so we can find ourselves getting locked into things and locked into things in our mind uh, and so that we lose, lose perspective. And I picked out what she said. This is kind of what, thought, what made me think, you know, it may be for today that when, when the tooth got chipped, I felt like somebody had just stripped away that armor, she said. Oh, look at you. Your smile is gone now. What are you going to do? And have you ever been in that place where you're kind of at the end of your tether and it can just be the littlest thing that causes you to just go, wait a minute, that's enough. Enough's enough. I've had enough of this. And we can blame ourselves. We can blame other people. We can blame God. Um, and I remember Rob Parsons saying um, at one of the Care for the Family events we attended years and years ago about teaching our kids to learn how to deal with disappointment because there'll come a time when we're disappointed with ourselves, there'll come a time when we're disappointed with others, and there'll come a time when we're disappointed with God. Uh, have you experienced that? Is it just me? <laughs> these, are, these are real things, and they can be subtle things. It's like the path, you know, the two paths, and you think, oh, they're both leading in the same direction. These, the things that we're talking about just now can be so subtle. And we need to be be aware. We've been talking about how the devil is the father of lies, and when he speaks lies, he's speaking his native language, John 8:44. Um, we need to be aware of the lies that get spoken into our lives. And this is the point when we read that statement. This is the point where the enemy delivers the knockout blow. This is the time where we choose to either run towards God or run away from God. You've heard the phrase, fight or flight. Um, you know, we can either face our circumstances head on or we can run a mile from them. I'm the type of person, just who I am as a person, I, I tend to want to face things. I don't like running away from things. Um, that's not to say that that is always my thing that I do. Um, click, please, Sophie, to the next point. But then she comes to this place of asking, what do you want me to do? And I don't know if you've ever got to that place where you just say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? It's not your fault. It's not my fault. It's not really anybody else's fault, but we're just in this place. And it could be the real difficulties of, of coming under attack from the devil. And you say, well, what do you want me to do? And just the way that she spoke when she said that, as she was reflecting back in her story, that brokenness of that moment, where she said, what do you want me to do? And then she said, if you can use me, God can use anybody. If you are willing to be used, if your life is surrendered to him. And I think it was at that point that there came a moment of letting go, a moment of realization. One of those moments where the light bulb comes on inside and you just, you just get it. You say, enough's enough. Can't keep on doing this. And what struck me about her story is that she began to walk in love and forgiveness. And she said, the scales were not going to define me. Weight loss was not going to define me. The smile on my face wasn't going to define me. She said that all along, God was defining her. 
she found her true, the source of true identity, which was in Christ. That God is defining each one of us. Not necessarily who we are as people, not necessarily our circumstances or how we look on the outside. Things are secondary. It's what God sees on the inside of us. That is what is key. And she learned that me being in control was really me being out of control. Slide 11, please, Sophie. She allowed God to be in the driving seat of her life. And it's a decision that we all have to make. You know, we sometimes think about this when somebody's, you know, maybe not taking that step of faith to follow Jesus fully, and we think, okay, you, you know, you're just praying for somebody that they become a Christian, and you want them to take that step and allow God to come into the driving seat of their life. But let me say that it's the same for each one of us as Christians. We've already allowed God to come into the driving seat of our life. He comes in this moment today, and the things that you're facing, and the things that I'm facing, and He says. Do you want me to take the controls? Do you want me to come in to the driving seat of your life in this particular situation that you might be facing? It's not just the big decisions. Sometimes it's all the little decisions that we make. And I think sometimes in these moments they can be defining moments. Defining moments, I think, are different from the rest of the humdrum and the hustle and the bustle of life. Defining moments. You can probably all reflect on defining moments for yourself. The moment where you met your future husband or wife. Do you remember that moment, for those of you who are in that place, where your eyes looked across the room and you saw him or you saw her and you went, that's the one. That's the one for me. Defining moment. The moment that you hold your kids for the first time. And mine are sitting here. Can't hold them now. They're too big for that. <laughs> but you remember these moments. They're defining moments. They're moments that shape us. The moment that you find out you're being made redundant. Oh my goodness. And somebody else phones you up and tells you before your company has told you. The moment when fear gets a hold of you. Have you ever been in that place where a fear gets a hold of you and finds a resting place inside and becomes a stronghold in your mind? Or the moment where that fear leaves you? Talking to some kids in the school about some of my fears and things that I've had to overcome through prayer. One of the questions is, God, your relationship with God, is that what it's about? Is he a crutch? It's asked sometimes, I think, as a trick question. I would say, definitely. What's your crutch? Is it alcohol? Is it any number of things? Is it any number of addictions that people get caught into and hooked into and they say, is your God a crutch? I would far rather have that crutch than any other because I know that Leaning on him brings life and life in all its fullness. I've been in a place where fear has left me. And I know what it's like, the reality of that moment where fear leaves you and it sets you free. I know what that's like. I've experienced that. And these moments become memories, just like all the pictures that we take. And we, 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 there's so many moments that we experience 
And you, you will be able to identify with, with so many times in your life where you've had those moments, maybe moments of desperation, moments of depression. I've felt depressed sometimes. I've never said that for the platform before. I've had times where I have felt depressed. And really, really, you ask Mary, she'll tell you that this is true. Times where it got a hold of me. Times where everywhere I looked, there was a problem. Everywhere, no rest. And it gets a hold of you. It gets a grip of you. It becomes a stronghold. And it can lead to despair, anxiety, anger, frustration, the feelings of failure. But then we can come to those moments of letting those things go. Moments of surrender. Those moments where we let go and let God. Moments of deep humility where we have to confront something, maybe in ourselves or with somebody else. Moments of deep prayerfulness and that connection that you feel with God as he comes in to the situation at your invitation. Moments of incredible joy and rest as we know that we're safe in God no matter what happens. And probably many of us have read that book to our kids, no matter what. No matter what, God is in control. No matter what, God knows you. God loves you. God wants the best for you. No matter what. Those moments where the light comes on. Moments where things which have been binding us for years are loosed. And for the first time we have clarity. And for the first time we're truly free. I listened to a story yesterday and I found it so moving. A lady who had been in hiding for three months in a three-by-four room in Rwanda. She was in hiding for three months in a three-by-four room with other people in it as well. And this woman talked about the power of forgiveness to set people free. Absolutely incredible. I was so moved listening to it having read about that particular situation recently. But to hear somebody talk about that and to talk about that moment of allowing God to come into the situation and letting go. Powerful, powerful stuff. We need to understand that the mind is a battleground. And in our minds we can go either way, even as Christians. And we need to understand this. We need to get a hold of this and we need to be aware that our enemy is subtle. There can be things that have a hold of us and we don't even know they have a hold of us. Things which seem like the two paths. It's like there's nothing wrong with that. Or is there? What place does it occupy in our minds? Is it the thing that we always go to for comfort or relief? Whatever that thing might be. Our minds are a battleground and we need to Learn to take every thought captive. To realize what's going on in our mind. To take that thought captive and to present it to Christ and say, here it is. Every thought, everything that seeks to get a hold of us, we need to take it captive and give it to God. Just as we're almost finishing slide 12, please, Sophie, we're going to read from Galatians 5 
16 to 26, again in the New Living Translation. And it's talking about living by the Spirit's power. And uh, this is what Paul says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. We do that through making that conscious decision day by day to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and to guide us in the situations that we face, whether it's at work or at home, wherever it might be. In every situation, allow the Holy Spirit to come in and to be our guide. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite, the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law. We need to grasp hold of that. When we're directed by the Spirit, we're not obligated to do the things of the law things which would trip us up. Next slide, please. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. What does it say here? That's a horrible list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, which is disagreement that leads to disharmony, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Who's Paul writing to? He's writing to the church. He's writing to the church. Incredible. And we need to be aware of the things that are going on in our lives and give them over to God. Next slide, please, Sophie. But, verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. How could there be? It's the way that God always intended us to live. To live freely and lightly. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Let's flick up that image of the cross again, Sophie. Next slide. That is where our old nature has to be crucified, our passions and our desires. The things of the old nature, those things that would tie us up and keep us in knots for the rest of our lives, battling with guilt, battling with battling with the things that would hold us back. These are the things of the old nature. These are the things which God came in the person of Jesus to set us free from. He has accomplished it on the cross. We need to begin to live in that freedom. Next slide, please. Galatians chapter 6. 
verse 7 and 9 says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will have a harvest of decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. God says to us today, you have a choice. You have a choice as to whether you're going to sow to the old nature, the sinful nature, and allow it to take control, or to invite the Holy Spirit to come and take control and to produce this fruit in us. This is the area where we need to give over our minds to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's not a negative thing. It's not a weirdy type thing. It's an incredible thing that gives us peace and freedom and release. And perhaps today for some people it is a defining moment. Perhaps today is the day which you experience a God moment. It's your decision a moment of release and surrender to God. Perhaps today is a day for letting go of some things which have held on to you for years, things which have been spoken over you, things which people have done to you. A time to let go, a time to hand over the keys to God, a time to invite God to invite a time to invite God into the driving seat of your life. And as we close in prayer, I would just like us to bow our heads for a minute as we reflect on these things. Perhaps today is the day when you close a chapter on your life and you say, that chapter's over. And as you turn, there's a blank page. And on that page, nothing is written yet. And God is saying, we can choose what we are going to write on that page as you and I move on into a new chapter of your life. The Holy Spirit wants to come and begin to write things on it. Things like love, things like joy, things like peace, things like freedom, things which you have sought after and not experienced as yet. But it requires us to invite God into our lives, as David did in Psalm 139. And we read in verse 23 where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Father, I pray today that you would help us to choose the right path. Father, that you'd help us to choose the path which leads to life. Father, I pray that today would be a day of shaking off of the things which have held us back for years, whatever those things might be. And Father, we pray that your hand would come upon us, that your Spirit would come. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this gathering to speak into each of our hearts, to search us, to test us, to try us, to see if there are things which are strongholds in our life that we 
need to confess and hand over to you. Father, I'm sure each of us here today would say that we want to live in freedom. We want to live in peace. We want to live with joy in our hearts. And Father, I pray today for some that this would be a day where we experience those things, where we begin to face in that direction. And maybe for some today, that that's all you can do today, is begin to face in that direction. You're maybe not ready to take the steps that you know that you need to take. But what God is looking for you to do today is to face in that direction. And maybe that will be enough for somebody in here today is to face in that direction and trust that God will give you the strength to take the first step and the second step and the other steps that will follow. And so, Father, we pray that you would have your way in each of our hearts and lives today. Father, help us to remember and to recognize that our minds are a seedbed for all sorts of things, things which can be good and things which can be bad. Father, help us to recognize those things which may be growing there that we need to weed out and get rid of. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to replace those things with the things of the Spirit. Father, as we come to take communion, Father, we ask that you would come and meet with us in a special way. Father, that as we take bread, which reminds us of Jesus' body, which is broken for us, as we take wine, which reminds us of his blood, which was shed on that cross, Father, we recognize, we declare today that we have received that freedom in Christ. Father, that he is the one who has set us free. And we have come to our thanks, to express our gratitude to you this morning. And Father, we pray that, help, that you would help us to examine ourselves as we take these symbols, these reminders. Father, as we take this time aside, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us very clearly, that our ears would be open to hear what you would say. Father, help us to be clear. in our thinking. Father, help us to respond to your promptings this morning. Martin and Kathleen and Trevor and Laura can come and help us uh, as we take communion this morning. Let's just remain in an attitude of prayerfulness. If you want to express your thanks publicly, then let's take the opportunity, opportunity to do that. And uh, let's really express our incredible gratitude to our incredible God this morning. Father, we pray over these symbols 
Father, that you bless them to us. Father, that you bless this time to us. Father, we pray that this would be a time where we experience healing. Father, a time where we experience life in all its fullness. Father, a time where we experience peace. Father, a time where we experience the freedom of letting go and giving things over to you. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.